0: Good afternoon, listeners. This is Dr. Bruce Kiesling, just a GP here in the studios of News Radio 650 K E N I. Healthy New Year to all of you. And yes, I'm in the studios. I appreciate your patience with the pre-records if you um, chose to listen to them in the last couple of weeks. If you have questions about anything that I went over, please let me know. I have a number of things I want to talk to you uh, today. I-, I didn't catch that that spot just before the program whether. The 20 milligrams of Viagra was $2 a dose. If, if it truly was $2 a dose from that South Carolina pharmacy, then that is truly a good savings. But remember that Viagra, uh, the therapeutic dose, is in the 50 milligram range. So you really need to do the math. Multiply by two and a half times whatever you can get it from from South Carolina. And the usual dose for Viagra is 50 milligrams to 100 milligrams. So it would be 5 times that dose from South Carolina. I do agree. Absolutely, that it's important for you to shop around. Diflucan, for instance, a very popular medicine for yeast infections, 150 milligrams. Last time I checked, was, uh, was uh, let's see, it was a hundred uh, over a hundred dollars at uh, Fred Meyer's and at Costco, it was twenty. So, but then again, the pharmacists will say that the prices fluctuate wildly, and they do that on purpose. Uh, they have specials here. They have lost leaders there. Uh, so what's important is that you call around. In general, I will say, although you know Costco doesn't spend much money on advertising, and I'm giving them a free advertising, uh, they in general tend to be the lowest price. But not always. You can use. You can sometimes get better deals at uh, Walmart on a specific medicine. I also have mentioned to you Bid B I D R X. That you can go online, use Alaska if you want to. If they ask you for a password, and you can bid out your medication, and that will frequently save you a lot of money. A lot of my patients have, have used that and have been able to get years worth of medications for thirty, thirty-five dollars. Two of their most popular medicines being a blood pressure medicine and a cholesterol medicine. But along the line of the pharmaceuticals, we we had. The uh, UK, uh, Br- Great Britain, finding Pfizer 107 million dollars for gouging people on a very popular and very common and very long-standing and very long available uh, seizure medicine. So hopefully we will begin to start clamping down on this egregious behavior, on gouging folks for the prices. You know about you've heard some of the scandals about the EpiPen, and that, that just it's just crazy. Of the venality of some of these folks, because they can get away with it they 're the only ones that have the product, so the monopolies are not a good thing except for the people who have the monopoly. five two two zero six fifty call in with your questions uh, before we get to the end of the hour so that I can get to your question so i don 't know about you, but I had to uh, relax my pants a little bit as I sit here in the studio because i I did the thing that I you know try not to do and which most of us do over the holiday season. And I gained about three, five pounds. I, you know, to be honest, I need to lose five pounds. People look at me and say, what are you talking about? You don't look like you're overweight. Well, you know, it's not a question of, you know, how do your clothes fit and how do you feel when you have an extra five pounds on? So, uh, you know, it's true. I I I, I work out a fairly, a lot, pretty consistently, like daily, and I try to watch what I eat. And I do have a genetic probably advantage in in the sense that not many people in my family have been overweight. But I do have some things that are that I am actually not very good at, and one of them is uh putting up with ignorance. I'm really, really not good at putting up with ignorance, so I want to attack some ignorance with you today until you call in with your question, five two two zero six fifty. So there's this big hoopla about big data. Big data is going to save everything. We're just going to just get all of this incredible data because everything that you do, of course, is monitored now. On Google, I now have this incognito. I can go on to the Google and, and make it very, very difficult. And I plan on doing it so that they won't track everything that I look up and develop a profile of me. But the thing is, this, you know, is part of big data. And, you know, big data is going to save the world. So they claim. Well. You know the Economist, and I'm so glad that I canceled my pers- my subscription to the Economist because it's really um, a, a, an outrageous publication, at least from an editorial point of view. And but when I travel, and I traveled, uh, I, I travel frequently, uh, and we have uh, well, let's see, we we'll have Todd uh, coming on the line here pretty soon. I'll go on the line here and talk to Todd. And then I'm going to come back to the economists and big data because I, I just have to cover this today. It's just so special. Todd, you're on the line. Thank you.
1: Hi, Dr. Kiesling. Yes. Yes. Are you familiar with pyoderma gangrenosum?
0: Well, uh, not personally, but professionally, I am.
1: Okay. All right.
0: And, and and do you have do you have it uh, have a problem with it?
1: Uh, I saw a dermatologist that believes that's what I've got going on.
0: Okay. And, and it's,
1: a, it's and, a fairly rare condition, so I'm just trying to amass as much information as I can about it.
0: Well, I, I, you know, again, it's, it's not something that I, I see on a real common basis, but let's just try to work through the logic of it. What did, um, for the uh, benefit of the other listeners, what are mm-hmm. your symptoms?
1: Uh, a non-healing leg ulcer that's been around for at least a year and a half, two years now. And we initially approached it as a, like a venous problem. Um, and then I did wound care for over a year and just would not heal. So the dermatologist did a, a culture, a biopsy, and some lab work. And, and I think through process of elimination of everything else, came up with that conclusion. And comparing what I've got with photos online and whatnot, I've I, I, I agree. I think that's what it is.
0: How big a lesion is it?
1: Uh, It's probably two inches by an inch.
0: How deep did the uh, dermatologist uh, suggest it went?
1: Um, It doesn't, at least on mine, it doesn't look like it goes very deep. It kind of varies. It'll get a little better and then it'll get a little worse. Um, If I had to guess depth, it's probably about a quarter of an inch, maybe a little less.
0: Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask something just let's just for the sake of my being a layman for a second. And you've, you have tried the antibiotics. Mm-hmm. The cultures didn't give it really any insight as it to being susceptible to a given antibiotic. You've, you've been through everything. You've had uh, all of the tests done, and now you still have a, a, an ulcer. And it's not getting worse, so you have to decide, am I going to live with this? It's not going to kill me, right? Is right. It, okay. Or, if it's not super big and not going to make a big, big uh, defect, what about cutting it
1: out? Um, everything I've read online says that any disturbance to the skin can make it worse, and it can just get that, that you can just be left with a bigger wound.
0: Okay. Well, now you're you know you're catching me up on this. Um, I I just you know. It, then the the gist of it is this is a situation you're going to have to live with right
1: pretty much it's it's an autoimmune thing and it um it it can flare up and it can calm down but it looks like just it's a lifelong thing that a person has to just kind of be aware of and deal with
0: well you know um so I, I, I'm going to be, defer. You know, when you ask me, am I familiar with it? I'm familiar with the term, haven't treated it in a really long time, and I guess I don't really have to come up to speed on it because there's anything we can do for it. Um, anyway, the 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 crush the crucial issue is, a person comes in with this problem with a problem on their leg. Is there uh, is it a condition in which we can help them? And that's a your diagnosis is uh, derived by exclusion of all the things that we can help you with. Now we're at, at the end gate, can't help you. And, and I guess um, I would have to hit the books. One of the things that you can do, um, one of the very good resources that we use at Primary Care Associates all the time is called Up to Date, And you can go online to, with Up to Date and get some other ideas. You can also explore... Uh, some of the MayoClinic.org, uh, CDC, which would be very strong in this area, uh, but it sounds like you've done a, a significant amount of homework and and you know more about the specific problem that you have right now than I do. Uh, and all I'm offering you is that um, maybe some additional consultation, but um, I, but really not much. And I, okay. I and I um, apologize, Todd, for not being able to give you more insight into it.
1: Oh, no, no need to apologize. I mean, I realize in the medical field that's why there's specialists. I mean, I I, I know I can't. And I'm just a left.
0: GP, Todd. That's
1: what. Yeah, you... and I I kind of came out of that field, but I just I'm I'm just trying to do my due diligence to kind of explore every possibility. So I know uh, well, okay. I, so I'm, where, I'm did, have, you
0: have you gone to up to date? Have you um, gone to MayoClinic.org? dot org? If you I
1: know I've been, been on the Mayo Clinic. Um, I believe. Believe I've been on up to date, but these are certainly things I'm going to go back to now. In the CDC, I don't think I've actually been on the uh, on their site. Yeah. I'm going to go back to these things, and I hadn't thought about the CDC. Um, yeah, uh, so I'll do some further research there. And and uh,
0: and do you have any other indications? I mean, the, the the problem is associated with other medical problems in certain instances, and you have none of the other
1: medical problems. Right, about half the time it shows up with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis, or Crohn's disease. Uh huh. Um, but the other forty to fifty percent of the time, it, it just comes out on its own.
0: Well, and, I guess um, I guess we want to congratulate you for not having all those other complicating associations.
1: Yes, yeah, and and my wound is actually pretty small compared to what I've found a lot of other people dealing with. So I'm I'm happy about that. But all right. so, but well, yeah, I'm going to
0: hit the say, books. I'm going to hit the books myself, Todd. I, I bring myself up to date on this particular thing because who knows. Uh, I might see one uh, one day, and, and hope to be able to give them more help than I'm giving you.
1: Okay, well, I appreciate that, but I, I, I'll check out those those sites you listed—the up to date, the CDC, and the, the Mayo Clinic—and and see what what else I can learn there.
0: All right, Todd. Good luck to you.
1: All right, thank you for your help. Uh, healthy New Year.
0: Bye. And let's go to Hi, Connie. How are you? Hello. I'm fine. Um, My question to you is, I heard you, oh my, it's been six weeks or so ago, and you were referring to and going through um, what sounded like an excellent book, and I didn't get the name of it. I can tell you that it had about 400 pages of information and about 200 pages of documentation. Do you have the name of that book for me? I sure do. And uh, you know, uh, unfortunately all of my relatives uh, were assaulted with a copy of it that was their Christmas gift. Oh, it's, well, I wish I was related. Yeah. Uh, it's called <laughs> How Not to Die. Okay. By um Dr. Greger G R E G E R. Okay. And uh, a something to consider to um, in addition to reading when you want to take a break from the reading is to rent from Netflix. Forks Over Knives. It's great. Oh, Old and ducking. I've seen that. Okay, well, yeah. did you like it? Yeah. I did. Okay, well, you're going to gonna, you're gonna like the book ten times more just because it, the book tells you, uh, well, it's just compelling. It's just very, very practical. Mm-hmm. And well, that sounds great. I'm really, I really, ever since I've been, uh, I'm always driving when I hear you, so I had to just pull over and see if I could get in today and, and find that out. So I sure appreciate that. All right. Well, healthy New Year. Thank you. You too. Bye now. And, folks, you can, you know, by just Googling Kiesling Radio Podcast, just Google it, and you can pull up my uh, my podca- the podcast from this program. Unfortunately, they give dates. You've got archived there. And remember, remember uh, what one of my patients told me. It will cure your insomnia, or it will give you some information that might be of use to you. It's a win-win, okay? So if you listen to it at the end of the day, you'll either be able to get to sleep or you'll have something to share. So I'm working on my voice. And you know, our voice changes as we get older. Guys' voices tend to get up, uh, go up a register a little bit, and women's voices tend to get down and gravelly. And, you know, your voice can make you you sound old. Uh, just like any uh, other part of the body, uh, our voice ages and it becomes softer and it becomes scratchier, and sometimes it conks out. sometimes people get you know really upset about this it doesn't usually start until after age fifty, and if you have a problem with any with breathing, of course, the force of the air that makes the noise we call your voice. Uh, can go down just because you don't have the force behind it. But, you know, we lose muscle mass as we get older, and the vocal cords, they're made up of tiny, very precise bits of muscle and ligament and muscle, uh, mucous membrane, and they need to touch and vibrate. Uh there's some exercises that you can do for your voice. If you're interested in that, just uh, let me know, and I will talk more about it. But right now I have Regina. Hi, Regina. You're on the air.
1: Hi, Dr. Kiesling. I hope my voice doesn't give my age away, but uh, I, was just wondering, <laughs> I was just wondering what your thoughts were on the fluoridation of our water system here in Anchorage and the fact that we're being medicated without consent and um, all the new research that's come out uh, regarding fluorination of our water. Um, your thoughts would be uh, appreciated.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting that when the program first started, uh, that was a very uh, compelling topic that I was assaulted with pretty much on an every week basis. And I personally um, don't have the angst that everybody else has. Uh, I think the data is, you know, if you can get too much fluoride, but you don't get too much fluoride from the water, uh, if people overdo it in other uh, other ways, they can uh, get have a problem with uh, increased uh, fluoride but you know i, I this is you know there are big there bigger problems out there than whether we should fluoridate or not if we don't fluoridate then folks need to be very mindful of what uh that will uh, do in terms of and uh, um, potentially lead to um with the you know dental health and i you know uh, regina i'm i'm it's been about it's been uh, frankly you know a couple of decades since I've have really delved into that so uh, apparently a characteristic of 2017 I've been hit with with two uh, things that I could kind of wing a bit but you know to be conscious that you're ignorant of the facts is a great step to knowledge so I need to do a little bit more research before I get flippant with you Regina about this not being a big crisis Uh with the fluoridation of our water. That's my gut reaction right now. I will look into it further, but I am ignorant of the most current facts that you are alluding to. I know there's been a brouhaha about it. So with Todd, I'm going to have to look into the gangrenosa, uh, and, the, and with you, Regina, I'm going to look into the fluoridation problem. Uh, hopefully, uh, the folks that call in next will give me something that I can actually talk about with some credibility and authority. But in the meantime, I'm going to go back to what I was discussing, and that is big data. And so the economist, you know, one of my esteemed colleagues, and Dr. Smith, who I very much miss, he was with Primary Care Associates for decades, and he left about a decade ago, and one of the things that he said was, when uh, we were talking about data and statistics, he, and this is a quote from Dr. Smith. Uh, uh, statistics are like a prostitute; once you get them down, you can do whatever you want with them. And I don't mean to be crude, but the the point is that uh, that really you can do anything you want with statistics. And this is a beautiful example of the perversion of big data and the hoopla behind big, big data. So, the economist, and I'll I'll read some of the snippets from it, and and then. We will. Um, and you're welcome to um, call in with your question at any time. So the economist says that, you know, the first piece of news Americans woke up to on November 9th was that Donald Trump had been elected president. Well, we know economists is very liberal in their background. And that was just horrible to them because the economist also was very much against Brexit. All right. So there was a massive swing toward Republicans by white voters without college degrees across the north. Now, you're immediately asking, why am I talking about something political on a medical program? But it makes sense. There is relevance. Hang with me for a second. Because what they did was they said, how could this be? How could this be? And the aftermath of the study results, statistical analysts Honed in on blue-collar whites as never before, because pre-election polls sold Mr. Trump with a 30% advantage, but he actually won with a 40% advantage. And this was a distinct difference from this group of people uh, relative to how many of them voted for Mitt Romney. And the economist is saying that this was the pivotal point. Now, what does it have to do with the medical? Well, the challenge that they put out was for data nerds to find a variable that can beat the percentage of non-college whites in the electorate electorate as a predictive of the country swing to Trump. And you know what they came up with? You can't, you know. So what it is, is this is classic example of confirmation bias. How can we make big data fit? With something that we've decided is a calamity, and now we're going to confirm that it is a calamity because of the data that we are going to glean in a big data sort of way. And there's no shortage of nerds. There's all kinds of people that, that uh, can look for reasons, but this is the reason they came up with. Public health statistics, and yes, I came back to the medical issue here public health statistics the institute for health metrics at the university of washington and they should be embarrassed that that's the term metrics were used for this this study but they compiled country level data on life expectancy and the prevalence of obesity diabetes heavy drinking and regular physical activity or lack thereof Together, these variables of all of these bad habits, these disgusting things that people do who are not only uneducated, i.e. ignorant, of course, whenever they say non-college educated, you know, that really bothers me and it should bother everybody who, um, it, it, you know, happened not to go to college uh, because there's a whole lot of people who didn't go to college that are a lot smarter than the people who did go to college. But the point is, of course, it's these non-college educated people that voted for Trump. But now we have statistical validity that it was not only were they dumb, but they were sickos because these folks had all of these medical problems. And, you know, but wait, there's more. You know, they went on with the Jefferson County and Knox County that the the ill have been and, and, and they conclude that these folks in the shift of the of these uh, folks that voted for trump it it shows they 're particularly susceptible to mr trump 's message and you know if diabetes you, you can 't make this up if diabetes were just seven percent less prevalent in michigan okay if If an additional eight percent of people in Pennsylvania engaged in regular physical activity, if the heavy drinking in Wisconsin was just five percent lower. Mrs. Clinton would be set to enter the White House. Now, I mean, that's big data used in the most perverse fashion. Because, you know, one of the things about circular reasoning is that it comes around to a big zero. Because it means that all of these ignorant, diabetic, non-college educated, heavy drinkers, guess what? They voted for Obama. So what's the reasoning there? You know, big data. You hear the word big data immediately, uh, you know, put up a big alarms. Because there is no perversion greater uh, than the statistical perversion of big data. Let's get to sinus infections, lots of sinus infections. And we're seeing a lot of uh, influenza A in the clinics. If you think you've got influenza, we can help you in the first couple of days with the influenza medication after about a couple three days the medications really don't help much and you won't want to deal with some of the side effects of the medication and on top of the influenza itself but for sinus disease uh, for the sinusitis I want to talk a little bit about it when do you go and when do you get treated what was interesting too uh, uh, and I will get to that uh, you know I went outside and in the first week I was outside in the holidays, and the holidays of her family was a memorial service for the, my 94-year-old mother-in-law who mercifully uh, passed away. Well, the, the leading up to that, so many caregivers within the family, and then the, the stress and the grief, even though it was predictable and even though it was merciful that she, she left, and she died in her sleep. So uh, that, that was merciful. But nonetheless, the family who've been taking care of her, uh, this is what I call the after the uh, final exam syndrome. College students, including myself, when we had our finals, we'd come home uh, to do your laundry, and then you get sick. You know, you squeezed your adrenals to get through the, the last bit uh, in preparation for the final exams and for the papers that were due, and then your adrenal glands just had been squeezed, and then now they just big let down, and then you were vulnerable to infection. And that's exactly what happened to the relatives, so I got to treat the relatives I was there. And one of the interesting phenomenons, and I want to talk about chronic cough, was that one um, of my brother-in-law developed an upper respiratory infection, and he got a bronchitis, and he coughed so violently that we did uh, pictures. We had to uh, actually uh, take pictures of what I'd never seen before from severe chronic coughing. I've seen people break ribs. Uh, rather, I've, I've diagnosed broken rib from uh, a nasty chronic cough. I've seen broken blood vessels frequently in the eye, big red, that whole white taken up by uh, conjunctival hemorrhage. It looks horrible, but it's but it's not a bad thing. It's just very dramatic, and it will go away. But my brother-in-law, he broke a blood vessel in the lower part of his chest, and he had a massive hematoma, uh, meaning a bruise that went over his entire abdomen. I've never seen that before. We're going to talk about what you do with chronic cough and uh, how that, uh, you know, Settled out, but first, well, I thought I had a caller, but no, nah, not a caller. okay, so any rate, we were uh, then then uh, uh, it was uh, taking care of people on the airplane and then taking uh, and then I went to see my mother, who was ninety years old, and it was a delightful ninetieth birthday celebration. Okay, so what has that got to do with uh, sinuses? Uh, well, a lot of folks develop. My, bro- my brother got a bad bronchitis. When do you start thinking about taking an antibiotic? I told you if you think you've got flu, you feel like you're going to die, afraid you won't wish you could. If you've got a low-grade fever, uh, or, you know, maybe more than a low-grade fever, if everything's aching, you're your coughing and sneezing and you feel miserable, go in, uh, and that's the instance, sooner rather than later for the, um, for the flu medicines. But otherwise, if it's a cold... Then when do you go? In the case of a cough, uh, you know the upper respiratory infection. The average cough duration in the cough, where does it come from? It comes from inflamed tissues, of course. And the average duration is going to be up to six weeks. Uh, but everybody, of course, won't tolerate that. And you can reduce that, generally speaking, to two to three weeks. One of the things that happens with the inflammation is wheezing. You get a, a kind of a chronic cough, asthma syndrome where you don't really have asthma, but the mechanism of asthma is really reactive airway as a result of inflamed airways that go into spasm. When you narrow your lips, you whistle. When your airways narrow, they wheeze, and they can narrow as a result of inflammation because the airways actually have muscles around the airways themselves, and they narrow. And then, of course, the inflammation and the clogging and the mucus and all that narrows the airways, and so you wheeze. And in those instances, the cough can be dramatically... Uh, shortened in duration, and, and you can be more comfortable in being able to rest uh, with, uh, with a short course of inhalers, inhalers that help decrease the inflammation, open up the airways. And that's not an abuse of medicine. In fact, it's better than taking an antibiotic for a virus. It's helping your own body heal. Now, when do you decide to go with an antibiotic? Well, hang on. I I guess we we've had a couple of callers call in call in again uh the, you got dropped for some reason, and I apologize for that. I didn't get to the line fast enough, okay, so when something persists when you start to get better and it persists longer than seven to ten days, then you and and in the case of a sinus, it's really nasty gunk, green yellow stuff, and your nose is is plugged, and your face is sore um. You know, you don't have to have a sore face, but if you're, you know, you've got that kind of, uh, those type of symptoms, then you can consider getting some antibiotics for an acute sinusitis. Now we're accused all the time of overtreating this, but in fact, there's been a number of studies that say you know it's okay to treat it. In fact, I'm going to tell you, those of you who are parents, about treating ear infections. For a long time, we were told, you know, to stand down on treating every little red eardrum that comes into the office. Well, guess what? It's okay to treat ear infections. And not only that, we find out in the latest study that if you try to shorten the course less than 10 days, then they get a recurrence. And so you treat the whole time. So if you get a prescription for your little one, make sure you take it for the whole time. Because when they uh, they shorten the course and a ear infection from Uh, 10 days of therapy to five days of therapy, they had 40% return recurrence rate. So that will be really disappointing for you as a parent. When you see them getting better at five days, you say, oh boy, I'm going to not give them the other five days and I'm going to kind of hold it in the medicine cupboard so I'll have it for the next one. Don't do it. We're giving you 10 days because that's what you need. And in general, that's what you need for ear infections over the age of two. You go for the kill. In some instances, you can get to the kill more, uh, you can get to your, the kill more quickly than that, but in some cases you just have to treat for a longer duration in order uh, to not have the recurrence and the relapse uh, of the infection. So in the case of a cough, we, we will remember, dilution is the solution to pollution. You, you don't want your airways to dry out. You want to drink lots of fluids. You want to thin those secretions that are accumulating in your lungs and so that they can be cleared out. Remember, the biggest filter in your body is not your kidney. It's not your liver. It's your lungs. Every breath you breathe has to get to 99 degrees and 99% humidity in order for you to exchange oxygen. Where's that coming from? If you're breathing 12 uh, to 16 times a minute, or, you know, if you don't breathe quite that fast, it doesn't, you know, let's just pick 10. And it's an average of 4 liters. If you're a bigger person, it's 5 liters you're moving. So 4 liters, and you're doing it 10 times a minute, do the math. That's a lot of air that you're filtering, that you are hydrating. And so it's it, it, you have to k- stay ahead of it. You have to stay ahead of the fluids. If you get a low-grade fever, you know, for every uh, half-degree of uh, fever, you're burning up another 5%. Uh, fluids and so you uh, need to stay ahead of the fluids just for that reason. So you need to keep drinking the fluids in number one. Number two though, if the cough is keeping you awake, then that means your immune system is going to get hammered a bit because your immunity, it, it, what the immunity that you have just by sleeping and getting recharged is important and if you're not sleeping then you're not uh, you know, benefiting from that completely. So we want you to get a good night's rest. And we want you to be able to breathe without a great deal of wheezing and a great deal of effort. And the inhalers will help decrease the cough. Then if the cough continues um, longer than that, and we are now getting into chronic cough, and this is, remember, the average cough in a more severe upper respiratory infection is up to six weeks. Now, who has the patience to put up with a cough for six weeks? You don't. I, I don't. Uh, you know, you want something done for it sooner. So what did I say? The cough lasts more than a week, 10 days, and it's associated with coughing up, you know, nasty yellow-green stuff, or your sinus is associated with nasty green stuff, and you're, you have facial pain and you have uh, the, your, your nose is clogged, and you've tried some of the over-the-counter things to open things up, and you've tried some nasal saline, which has... Uh, it's modestly effective for chronic or recurrent sinus symptoms, then you know we can help, and they in the case of the sinus, a course of antibiotics, which again, in order to get in there and to and make it work, we have to get it for a, a little longer period of time. You want to be on a probiotic during that time absolutely and i'm not I'm not espousing you know the indiscriminate spraying people with antibiotics. But this is a miserable time of year. <laughs> As it turned out, I, I had a, a, the last couple of weeks on vacation. I was just taking care of a lot of folks who had this, and I saw a lot of folks on the airplane that were having problems. If you go flying when you have one of these problems, it's not a good choice because the barotrauma, the changing of the pressures, drives this infection up into your ears. It drives it up into your sinuses. And that's one time when t- using an, if you have absolutely have to, when using one of those products like Afrin, and, and actually there are many products that that that, actually, that are not technically Afrin but have the same active ingredient. And that's a problem because folks can get addicted to the oxymetazoline in it, and that's the active ingredient in Afrin, which causes the vasoconstriction, which opens up your upper airway, opens up your nose, and yay, I can breathe through my nose now. That's really great. Well, for a day or two, that's great. After that, it's always going to contribute to the problem, make it worse, because you're going to get a rebound congestion because of your dependence on the Afrin. In order for us to get you off the Afrin once you're addicted to it, and that includes the Kroger nasal spray, the Signature Care nasal decongestion, the Equate, the Sinex, Vix Sinex, that Zycam, Sudafed nasal spray, they all have that same ingredient. You get hooked on this, and we're going to, in order to get you off of that, we're going to have to give you a course of pretty high dose uh, uh, systemic steroids to decrease the inflammation and to wean you off of that afferent. So don't get addicted to those products. But when you're flying, you can use it on the descent and for one day after that. Gosh, time flies when you're talking about snotty noses and cough. I'll be back here in the studios of News Radio 650 K E N I next.